Incredible. Amen. Good morning, GT family. It's so good to be in the house of God on this Canada Day weekend. And uh, my uh, brother and his wife came up here, and uh, they were here for Canada Day, so we had a great time celebrating together. They brought their kids up, dropped their kids off, three girls, and they are heading to Italy for their 20th anniversary. So I don't know who got the, the better end of the deal on this one, but <laughs> be praying for us because we now have six young ladies in our home. So <laughs> the, only, the only male are, is myself and my blue tick beagle dog. So we're going to go... We're going to have to go for a lot of walks together, <laughs> so it's going to be good. You know, we, uh, we had the privilege of going down to the waterfront on uh, Canada Day and spending time there with the fireworks and everything, and there was my brother and his wife and my wife and my kids, and then what a neat opportunity to see um, just hanging out with Sal and Randa from Jordan and Antonio and, and Carolina from Venezuela and the Batembo family from Congo and, and Portugal and all these different groups that were represented. And I think that is the beauty of Canada, amen, that we are uh, a unique country, a very diverse country. Um, like the realm of our salvation, we have not arrived. There's always more work to do, um, and it's important to acknowledge that, but at the same time, never take for granted the current blessings that we do have. And as the Holy Spirit is at work in us, we have not arrived Anybody arrived? Anybody fully sanctified? No, <laughs> you're not, right? Until we see Jesus face to face. And in the same way, as a country, we have a lot of great things to be thankful for and have a heart of gratitude for, but we also acknowledge there's always more work still to be done. And you can carry both those realms. You can be thankful and have a heart of gratitude and say, and there's still more work to be done for this incredible country. And so it is a privilege to be here in Canada. It is a beautiful nation, not a perfect nation, but a beautiful nation. And we believe that God is going to do great things and the greatest days for Canada are yet ahead. Well, if you're new here this morning, my name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at GT. We thank you for joining us in our 930 service. And um, it's, uh, it's Canada Day weekend. We know a lot of people are traveling. So for many of you that are watching online, we welcome you as well. Thank you for joining in. And I'm really excited because today we are starting a brand new series for the entire uh, month of July and August called Summer in the Psalms, all right? So how many people love reading the Psalms? The Psalms is a beautiful uh, book of the Bible given to us, given to the people of God to really help shape our prayer, shape our worship, and shape our understanding about who God is. And over the next few months, or a couple months, it's going to be really uh, neat because we're going to have several of our staff joining in. And so some of our younger team is going to be preaching. And uh, we, we believe that the call of God is on their life. And so I'll be preaching the next few weeks, but then we're going to have some of our younger staff preaching, and it's going to be a great time for them to grow and cultivate and develop that gift. And so I encourage you this summer, be present Sunday morning. We're going to have a great time together journeying through this incredible book. Something new we're going to try as well is that um, if you would like to, you can go to gtburlington.org slash summer, and there is a page with our entire series up there on our website. And then if you scroll down, there's actually a link, uh, a U version link that you can click on, and it'll have the scripture verses, and it'll also have some main points from my sermon outline. So every week, you can go there. We have stuff on the slides here, but you can also go there and kind of follow that outline. 
And um, hopefully that will help us in growing and learning and really going on this journey together uh, in the Psalms and being encouraged by God's Word. I want to open up with a couple thoughts from some thinkers throughout church history. The first one's by Athanasius. He says this, Whatever your particular need or trouble from the same book, the Psalms, you can select a form of words to fit it so that you learn the way to remedy your ill. Tim Keller in his book, The Songs of Jesus, said this, the Psalms fire our imaginations into new realms, yet guide them toward the God who actually exists. And so this morning, I want to kind of set this entire series up and give us just a little bit of a context for how to read the Psalms, how to study the Psalms, but also how to pray the Psalms, because that's actually the reason they were given. They were given to help guide people in their journey of faith of how to approach God. And so the beauty in learning to read, pray, and study the Psalms is that we actually begin to discover Many ancient truths about the character of God that have long been understood. And we also see that many of the dilemmas and the struggles in life that we face are not necessarily new. When you study the Psalms, you actually begin to realize there's nothing new under the sun. That the things that we face, the things that we wrestle with, the things that we struggle with are ancient challenges, are ancient problems. And so when we read the Psalms, we begin to see this revealed. And yet God, in his grace, I believe has given us this beautiful poetic manual and helping us to allow ourselves to feel the full expression of those struggles and then how to respond rightly to the things that we are enduring. And what we see all throughout the Psalms is there's a difference between reacting and then responding. Everyone say that. There's a difference between reacting then responding. And the Psalms actually help us in learning what it means to respond rather than just react. It's also important for us to understand that the Psalms represent what's called Hebraic poetic literature, which was very emotive, or it was very emotional, meaning that it spoke to the mind by way of the heart. Therefore, the Psalms are full of expression and how we often feel before we think. And even the most analytical, rational type of minds, the truth is, and neuroscience has actually supported this, supported this idea that most of us actually feel things before we ever process things. And so the Psalms actually reveals that, that we are feelers first, and then some of us just go based off of those feelings, and we have highest of the highs and lowest of the lows, uh, but many of us learn in those feelings how to analyze, process things, and then how to respond from that. Now, in the book of Psalms, there's 150 of them that are written, and it's uh, essentially compiled of five different books. And we see this in chapters 1 through 41, 42, 72, 73, 89, and so on, that there are five books that are written, and it's actually believed that 73 of these Psalms are ascribed to King David. The, the, the great king of Israel's history was the writer or the contributor of the majority of these Psalms. And it's actually believed that he was the one uh, that was involved in helping to bring a lot of these into place. Even if he didn't write them, he was the one promoting them in Israel's understanding so that the people of God can have this incredible literature. Now, in the book of Psalms, you'll actually find that there are several different categories that are utilized in writing. We see that there are, number one, laments. Anybody ever heard that word before? 
There's a book in the Bible called Lamentations. Uh, it's an important book in the Bible. And so that's actually a huge majority of the Psalms. In fact, one third of the Psalms are laments. And laments uh, basically just handle disappointment, disillusionment, and discouragement in an honest and vulnerable way, which is always presupposed by a deep trust in God. The great um, prayer, prayer person and theologian Richard Foster in his book on prayer, he said this, the lament psalms teach us to pray our inner conflicts and contradictions. They allow us to shout our forsakenness in the dark caverns of abandonment and then hear the echo return to us over and over until we bitterly recant them only to shout them out again. They give us, that being laments, permission to shake our fist at God and break into doxology the next. What a powerful statement that Richard Foster says here, that the Psalms, this beautiful Hebraic form of literature, give us permission to be angry at God. Give us permission to be disappointed in God. Give us permission to be frustrated with the way things are happening in the world. And yet in this lament, it's I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm mad. And God says, I'm okay with that. I can handle your anger. I can handle your frustration. I can handle your disappointment. And then out of that, then respond in beautiful worship and doxology. And so you see this all throughout the Psalms where even King David says, God, like, where are you in this moment? You ever had that in your life before? This, this time where you just felt like, God, what is going on in my life? Do you even see my mess? Do you even know what I'm enduring? Do you even know what is happening in my world right now? The Psalms reveal that over and over again. And David does that and he says, God, where are you? Yet I will praise you anyways. Yet I know that you are good and faithful and true, yet I know that you are faithful to your covenant no matter what I am facing. And so we see that there's individual laments and corporate laments. Another category we see is that of thanksgiving. Uh, these were psalms offered to God in response to his goodness, his faithfulness, his mercy, his protection and kindness. They deal with a deep sense of gratitude for all of our blessings. There's hymns of praise uh, where the, th uh, the psalms of thanksgiving tend to be reactive. Hymns of praise found in the Psalms are simply responses to who God is, not based on our current circumstances. So in essence, it's like that song that we sang here this morning, I will praise before my breakthrough, right? Psalms of thanksgiving is, God, you have broken through. You have performed the miracle. You have worked in my life, and I want to give you thanksgiving for that. Uh, the hymns of praise are, whether I'm sensing the breakthrough or not, I'm going to praise you anyways. Whether I'm seeing the miracle or not, I'm going to praise you anyways. There's salvation history psalms. Uh, these psalms deal with God's redemptive purposes for his people Israel, especially in their times of deliverance from captivity. Uh, there's psalms of celebration and affirmation. These psalms deal with the realms of covenant renewal, kingship, and the songs of Zion. There's actually a lot of what's called wisdom psalms. Wisdom literature is important in understanding the Bible, that the psalms have all kinds of ancient wisdom in them that we can go to. In fact, we'll do that here in a moment with Psalm 1. Uh, there's songs of trust. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 121. Last week in our baptismal service, we heard the Father recite that psalm. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you, O Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Where does my help come from? Not some political party. 
not some leader in our nation, not some system or providence by the government, but no, my help comes from my Lord, who is the maker of heaven and earth. And then there's what's called the imprecatory Psalms. If you want to sound really smart later today, you can say, today we were learning about the imprecatory Psalms. And that's uh, Psalm 137. These are really just um, brutally honest response to God in the midst of horrible situations. This is like well, how can we sing the songs of Zion in a foreign land when we've been taken into captive, t- captivity, when we've been taken into exile? And so there's all these different categories that we see over and over again in the Psalms. Walter Brueggemann, in his book, uh, his commentary, really praying the Psalms, he lays out three different kind of principles for understanding the Psalms. And the principles are simply this, and these are going to be important over the course of the summer, that there are Psalms of orientation, Psalms of disorientation and Psalms of reorientation. So orientation is where the psalmist uh, is gaze, their gaze is oriented towards God and things look hopeful. It's this idea of bringing adoration to God. Disorientation is where the psalmist's gaze is oriented away from God and things begin to look grim. There's distraction that is happening. And then reorientation is where the psalmist moves from disorientation away from God back to orientation towards God, and it's connected to this idea of realignment or repentance. And I would propose to you that our journey of faith encompasses those three realms over and over and over again. But there are many times in our life where we are oriented towards the goodness of God, the majesty of God, the faithfulness of God, the providence of God, the sovereignty of God, And then things begin to happen in life and we become a little bit disoriented and we begin to become distracted. And when we we become distracted and disoriented, we begin to think that all is looking bleak in the world, that all is going to hell in a handbasket, that all is falling apart. And the Psalms actually bring us this reminder that we have an opportunity to realign, to repent from that place of disorientation and turn back towards, oh, the God who was and is and still is to come. That the God that we worship in the Psalms reveal us over and over again, he's actually Alpha and Omega. He's beginning and he is the end. He is the first, he is the last, because he has always been, and he is ultimately in control no matter what is happening in the world. And so when we become distracted by all that is happening in the natural down here, the Psalms remind us, repent, reorient ourselves, and turn back towards the God who was and is and still is to come. And when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, when our gaze is set on Jesus, no matter what is happening in the natural down here, it does not deter us from our faith and our belief. And we see this over and over again in the Psalms. Now, this morning, I want us to stand. That was a long introduction. Um, But I want us to stand for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to look at Psalm chapter 1 in a moment. But before we get to Psalm chapter 1, we will see this in Psalm 1, and we'll see this all throughout the Psalms, that the Psalms kind of present this idea of two ways. There's the way of the godly person 
which leads to abundant life. And that word abundant was a very much biblical word. Word. It was not just financial abundance or, or health abundance, but it was really a holistic realm of abundance as we talked about last week. And then the second way, there's the way of the ungodly person that leads to destruction. And I want to say this, that even in ancient cultures, they knew about the pleasures that the world had to offer. They knew about different ideologies and ways of thinking and patterns of thought. They didn't have all the scientific data to back up everything they knew, but they had great understanding about all that was out there that was offering them a different realm. They knew about the pursuit of happiness. They knew about the pursuit of pleasure. And the psalmist comes along and the many contributors to this book, and they say, actually, there's, there's two ways in life. There's the way of the godly person, and the, there's the way of the ungodly person. The godly person finds abundant life. The un ungodly person, it always leads to the way of destruction. So Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, the psalmist writes this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. For he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. We may be seated here this morning. Now most scholars believe that Psalm chapter 1, it kind of functions like the preface or the summary for all that is about to come in this collection of writings. And here in chapter 1, in the first word of this book, the writer says, blessed is the man. That word man being all-encompassing here of both genders. Blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. It's interesting to note that this word blessed is actually translated as happy. It's the same word that Jesus used in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus said, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are all these different realms. The connection is, if you pursue these things, you will find true happiness, you will find true joy. And many times in modern society, we are constantly um, asked this question, or we're, we are constantly bothered by this question of what will bring us ultimate happiness in our lives? What is the pursuit of happiness? What will bring us joy that is lasting and goes beyond temporal things? For many, they think that the pursuit of safety and security is what will bring ultimate happiness. For some, it's the pursuit of self-knowledge and self-discovery. What makes one feel good? That was the thinking of the modernists uh, coming out of the Enlightenment. The idea is whatever makes us feel good uh, will bring us happiness. And we just got to look deep in ourselves and find out our true self. For others, it's the pursuit of 
defining self, that all of us are essentially a, a blank canvas in this life and we get to define our own truth. We get to decide who we really are. It's really connected to the postmodernist thought of what makes us feel free. For some, it's the pursuit of opportunity or experience or status or prestige. If I could just take my wife to Italy, like my brother is taking his wife to Italy, then somehow I will experience this utopian happiness, this joy. If I could just have this title or this position, if I could just arrive in my career, then maybe I will experience happiness. Some it's the pursuit of meaningful relationships. If I just had more friends, if I just had a spouse, if I just had someone I could spend the rest of my life with, then maybe I would experience happiness. Now the writer in this opening psalm tells us that true happiness is not found in any of these pursuits, but rather it is found in something transcendent and beyond us. In fact, it is most often found in something spiritual more than material or positional. In fact, as we read Psalm 1, in essence, the psalmist is saying that happy is the one who does not do certain things and then does do other things. And this is so important for us to understand because the journey of living for God, which we believe as Christians leads to ultimate happiness, is not just about not doing certain things, but it's also about doing certain things. And this actually in Psalm chapter 1 speaks of this idea of salvation, of redemption, that when we are called out of darkness and out of bondage, we are also called into his marvelous light. And so our salvation is not just about don't do this and you'll be saved. Don't do this and you'll be good. Don't do this and somehow you'll be happy. It involves that. But the encouragement here from Psalm 1 is go ahead and do this. Go ahead and believe this. Go ahead and think this. Go ahead and understand this is what you are saved to. Now, when the psalmist speaks here of counsel, this word, it literally speaks of a way of thinking, a way of behaving, or a way of belonging. Blessed, happy is the one who does not belong to this way of thinking, or this way of behaving, or belong in this place, but they actually behave, think, and belong in this other realm. So once again, following in the ways of God and his purposes, which lead to true happiness isn't just about behavior modification, but it's really about where do you belong? Where do you find your identity and your purpose? Happy is the one who does not belong, behave, think this way. No, happy is the one who sits in the ways and purposes and understanding of the one true God. The psalmist goes on and says that, that that person should then meditate on the law, which was significant of the word of God. And this is not to be misunderstood with that of Eastern meditation that requires one to empty their minds and open themselves up to whatever. Rather, Christian meditation is an ancient practice 
of filling our minds with God's word, filling our minds with God's truth, filling our minds with God's promises, and then dwelling on them, literally saturating our very being with it. I love that language that the psalmist used. Happy is the one who doesn't belong in this realm of the wicked, The happy is the one who actually meditates on God's truth and God's promises. Let me ask you this question here this morning. What have you been dwelling on this week? What have you been meditating on this week? My wife and I have been working intently to be very intentional about our time, how we spend our time, where we spend our time, what we do with our time. But every once in a while, every once in a while, we have these weeks where we get a little bit off course. Anybody get off course before? Anybody set some good rhythms up and then you just have that week where you're like, yeah, I just, I let it go. Like it was rib fest this week in Waterdown. And <laughs> I just determined that this morning my belt loop was going to be a little bit wider for the glory of God, right? And so I just let it go. Anybody ever have uh, determination about how much time you're going to spend watching Netflix or how much time? I I got an update this morning on my watch that said your social media uh, observance was up 10% this week. And it was right before I'm getting ready to preach and I'm like, ooh, that, that, that hurts that I was actually on, on social media 10% up this week. I've been really good about that lately. And so what have we been meditating on? If we're honest, many times we're not spending a lot of time dwelling, meditating on God's word, on God's truth, on God's promises. And we find ourselves dwelling, meditating on all these other things that lead to distractions, disorientation, in our lives. And then we wonder at the end of the week why we're frustrated, why we're unsettled, why we're anxious, why we are fearful, why we are bogged down with all that is happening in the world. Psalmist goes on and says that that person who meditates on the law, the word of God, they will be like a tree planted by streams of water. The imagery speaks of one who is continually connected to their source of life and being. That no matter what season comes upon them, because they remain connected, the promise in Psalm 1 is that they will grow and prosper in all things. Happy is the one who does not dwell on the things of the world. No, happy is the one who dwells on the goodness and the promises and the truths of God. And if they don't do this and do do this, then they will be like a tree planted by the streams of water that no matter what season comes in their life and all that they do, their leaves will not wither and they will prosper in all things. Think about that simple truth. We are three verses into this incredible book and there's this beautiful truth laid out for us as followers of Jesus. In fact, I would say if we just learn these simple truths, things will be a lot better in our lives. Happiness, joy comes from not belonging to this, but by belonging to this. And when you belong to this over that, you will be like this tree and all that you do will prosper. No, I love it in this text because I believe that the psalmist gives us real quickly here this morning, 
three reminders about happiness. And they're simple reminders that I want you to write these down or make a note of them, take a picture of the slide if you want, that I think we need to remind ourselves of these things from the scripture. Number one, it gives us the reminder of the availability of happiness. It's interesting that when we are young, most of us thought of happiness as normative. That all was just good in the world and that's the way it should always be. And if things weren't good, then it needed to be fixed really quick so that things should be good again. The idea of happiness was normative for us. But as we get older, we often, if we're honest, we wonder. We begin to wonder whether happiness is actually achievable or possible. And maybe you're here this morning, you're in a season of life where you are wondering, will I ever discover true joy? Will I ever discover the happiness that the psalmist is writing about? I don't know. My situation is really challenging and difficult and hard and messy. And there's so much brokenness in my life. And there's so much brokenness in those around me. I don't know, Pastor Tim. I don't know if I can believe this truth. And the promise is given. Those that don't dwell in this, but do dwell on this, they will be like the tree. And they will prosper in all that they do. It's a reminder. There's an availability of happiness, that we can discover true joy. That if you remember nothing else here this morning, true joy is available to those that don't do this, but do do this. True joy is available for those that stop thinking in the counsel and the way of the wicked and begin dwelling and meditating on the goodness and the promises and the truths of God. Number two, we see this. It reminds us of the pursuit of happiness. I want to say this. If you seek happiness as an end unto itself, you will be constantly frustrated and let down. We must see that happiness is actually a byproduct of that which one pursues. Now, for many years, I have been a goal setter. I love the end of the year leading into the next year. Anybody plan and set out goals for the upcoming year? How many people get really excited about January 1st? And you have all these categories of things that are, you're going to do. I, I, by way of confession, am a goal setter. And sometimes in my life, I have accomplished those goals. But if I can be honest, many times by February 1st, I've already completely demolished that goal, not in a good way. I've, I've completely lost track. I went off course. And so my, my wife and I have been talking a lot about this idea of moving away from setting goals and moving towards healthy rhythms and practices. I remember 13 years ago, sorry, nine years ago, yeah, 2013, I decided that I wanted to run a marathon. And I was a sprinter in high school. I was a basketball player. I was not a long-distance runner. I was not an endurance runner. A marathon, by the way, is 26.2 miles, so... Do the math, Ks, that's a lot of Ks, right? So it's a long time. I decided I'm going to run a marathon. So I had a buddy in our church who ran a full ride at, uh, at West Point Academy on track and cross country. And I said, would you train me for the next 14 or yeah, next 14 weeks and help get me ready for this marathon that I want to r- uh, run? He said, absolutely, I'll get you ready. So he put together this, this plan, this regimen. And I thought, if I could just 
accomplish a marathon where I actually complete it without stopping, then I will arrive at the epitome of health and I will be forever healthy for the rest of my life. And so I, I trained hard. I disciplined myself. I was running five times a week. I was eating well. I got my body fat under 10%. I was like 187 pounds on my long runs. I was doing 18 to 22 mile long runs at the end of the week. And my goal was I want to break four hours. And I got to the race day and I had my worship music in my earbuds and I had my little fanny pack with all my little power gels and my water and there was this like this aura that came over me at the start line anybody ever run one of those races before like it's a hype moment it's pretty incredible it's like all this energy and I went out and I ran the race and I completed the race in three hours and 36 minutes three hours well thank you thank you And I remember feeling just like this amazing accomplishment. I thought, this is it. This is a a turnaround in my life. And I'm going to be this forever healthy person. Nine years later, I went to run with Pastor Steve and Pastor Isaiah's Friday morning. And I ran a 31-minute 5K. (laughs) And I about died doing it. Right? I, I had this goal. If I could just achieve this goal, then I will arrive. And then we arrive, and all of a sudden, the hype and the, the aura of it wears off, and we don't know what to do. And actually, we haven't developed the proper habits and rhythms in our lives. See, if we learn to develop the proper habits and rhythms and patterns in our life, I believe that joy and happiness becomes the byproduct rather than the goal. So many times, oh, if I could just accomplish that, then I'll be happy. And we get that, and then it wears off. But I believe what the psalmist says is there's a pursuit of happiness that we must be committed to, that we begin to pursue the right things in life, not the temporal things, but no, the eternal, timeless things. And when we pursue those things, then happiness, joy becomes the byproduct rather than the goal. Matthew, in Matthew 6, 33, Jesus said, but seek first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek first, not happiness. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his righteousness. Meditate on the law of God, meditate on the word of God, meditate on the promises of God, dwell on those things, create healthy habits and healthy rhythms and happiness will be added unto you. Thirdly, we see here that there's a foundation of happiness. John chapter 15, Jesus said these words, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. I wanna say this. Our source that the psalmist talks about here in Psalm chapter one, our source must not be connected to that which is temporal and situational. The psalmist uses the language, for they will be like a tree 
planted by what? A stream, a river. The stream, the river is always flowing, always moving, always. It's almost like an eternal realm. Even in the dry sea, they may get down a little bit lower, but eventually uh, the rains come and there's a fresh infilling in the river and it begins to add life and energy wherever it flows. We must see that our source must not be connected to that which is temporal or situational. This will always lead to the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows, which is the root of so much instability. Rather, our source must be connected to that which is eternal, timeless, beyond us, reliable, and constant. And this can only be found, I believe, in deeply knowing Jesus and deeply being known by Jesus. What is the answer to your joy? What is the answer to your pursuit of happiness? Knowing Jesus and being known by Jesus. But what about the car? Knowing Jesus and being known by Jesus. But what about the career? Knowing Jesus and being known by Jesus. But what about the house? Knowing Jesus and being known by Jesus is the only thing that will bring you happiness and joy in this life. And so how do we do this? We do this by healthy rhythms and practices. We do this by spending time with him, by, as, a, as Jesus said, by abiding with him. That, that word abiding means just being aware of his presence. Jesus, you are here, and I'm not going to move from this moment. I'm going to abide in this moment We do this by meditating on his ways and his truths. We do this by remaining in him, staying connected to him, understanding that Jesus is our source. He is our sustenance. He is the one that can help us endure no matter what we are going through. And we do this by discovering the place where we really belong is with him. Happy is the one who does not dwell in the counsel of the wicked. For some of you here this morning, you've been dwelling long enough in the counsel of the world, in the ways of the world, in the patterns of the world, in the thinking of the world. And I believe this morning there is an invitation for you to come out and come into, to come out and step into and discover your true home. Discover where you really belong, connected to the source that is eternal and lasting and good in the midst of all seasons of your life. I believe we do this through worship, word, and prayer. Simple things that as Christians, we think we need deeper revelation of how to be content, how to be joyous, how to have happiness, And I believe over and over again, we're going to see in the Psalms, no, meditate on his word. Spend time in his presence and know where you find your ultimate source is seeing knowing God and being known by God. Amen?